Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. my friends. I hope everybody's doing well today. I wanted to talk a little bit today about uh, frontal temporal because it is just driving caregivers crazy. And I know it's difficult. I know, I know, I know it's difficult. Um, But the thing is that there's things that we can do and things that we cannot do. And I want you to understand that it's not always easy to manage your emotions and take care of business as you need to when you are frustrated. I know it's hard and I I live it myself, so I get it. And, you know, especially with FTD, I don't know if there is a more unkind or less forgiving type of dementia. Now, I know any of you that are out there that have somebody with Alzheimer's, you'll say, well, that's pretty tough. And yeah, Louis body's pretty tough. And, you know, there's a lot of different dementias that are really in that same realm that can be difficult to deal with. But the thing is that in most cases, as a caregiver, if you can really grasp your emotions and and let yourself be able to let you know some of the behaviors or or the intensity or the um agitation anxiety if you can let any of that go you're much better off for it if you know how to speak to the person if you know that you can change the trajectory of the direction they're headed with just your emotional action, not reaction, action. If you can do that, you're so much better off. With FTD, it's, it, it seems like sometimes it's just impossible. It really does. And I, I don't want to bring anybody down. I don't want to be a naysayer. But like I say, I'm kind of in the same boat as all of you, only I'm not really right on the front lines. I have a brother with FTD and just watching him with the behavioral variant is enough to honestly, you know, put Clairol in business for the rest of my life to wash the gray hair out. You can try to talk to somebody with FTD, but they don't have the ability to utilize judgment and reasoning with you. So you can try to guide them to the best help that you can give them. You can show them that the people around them are doing everything in their power and well-being to make their lives easier and help them with you know, whatever, whatever messes they get themselves into, 
whatever trouble happens with this disease, but they don't listen. You can, it's like talking a blue streak and they're not listening. They're tuning you out. And if any of you out there are dealing with FTD, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) You do. I mean, I'm telling you what, you can try to tell somebody that you'll endorse someone as their guardian or or power of attorney or what have you. But, oh, no, they want to do it on their own. They will not listen to your suggestion. They think everybody's trying to run their lives. You could, you could tell them that they've been in eight car wrecks in a year and they probably shouldn't be driving anymore and they'll tell you that they can drive better than you on any given day. You can try to help them with a divorce. Uh, if their loved one is kicking them out and within a week they're talking to somebody on the phone and having a conversation with them for three hours and suddenly they're in love and want to get married. The ridiculousness of it is exhausting. It's ridiculous. It's exhausting. (laughs) And sometimes it doesn't behoove us to engage. It really doesn't. I have told a client recently that if if she is not chosen as the power of attorney or in charge of the guardianship of their person, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing. There's only so much we can take. There's only so much we can do. And When you're faced with trying to help someone and you know you have a lot of the processes down, you know where to go for resources, and they're not listening to you. They're not listening to you. And one day they say, well, I want you to be my guardian. And the next day they want somebody else to be their guardian. And then on day three, they want their newfound love that they haven't seen in 50 years that they have apparently loved all their life, uh, they want them to be their guardian, and they don't even know this person. I mean, I'm serious. It's it's unbelievable. Not taking bowers, uh, sh- uh, showers and baths. See, it's so frustrating. I can't even talk right. <laughs> Seriously, I don't know how many of you scream into your pillows, but I'm guessing it's a high percentage. Uh, I don't know how many of you have called it a day and gotten a divorce or, you know, just kicked the person out and taken them back and feeling bad about it. And we just, we get to our wits end sometimes. I had three phone calls before coming into the studio today from families dealing with behavioral frontal temporal degeneration. All three were in tears in the messages and said they don't know how to communicate with their person and they wanted to know what to do. Well, with FTD people, one of the first things that you have to do is just give concrete statements. Just concrete statements. I'm not going to talk to you about this right now. I think this is a bad decision. 
my advice to you, if you want it, is I would do this. And don't put a bunch of narrative around it. Because if you do, you're just going to be frustrated. And we all know that even when you think you've talked some sense into a person with FTD, they're going to do what they want to do anyway. <laughs> There's no way around it. They're just going to do what they're going to do anyway. They will give you lip service about what they what they will do and, and what they're going to do to try to make you happy sometimes. Sometimes they just tell you to F off and move along. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I, I my heart goes out to you. So one of the questions that I had today from, from a caller was, uh, is there a social worker or somebody that can talk to that person and get through to them? Well, you could try that. Uh, I, I, again, I never want to be a naysayer. You could try that. Uh, I will tell you, I have social workers from UCH call me asking me for help in talking with with people. Um, talking doesn't generally work. So one of the things that you could do is, and I know th- these are going to sound so trivial and so ridiculous, but judgment and reasoning, carrying on a conversation, adding a whole lot of of words around any given subject isn't going to get you where you need to go. You need to get something in their hands, uh, like a squeegee ball or um, a pencil where you're asking them to write things down or, um, you know, kind of handing them a, a glass of water or something that is tactile. Put something in their hands to divert their attention when you're trying to talk to them. And and folks, I'm telling you, we need to let go of the idea that we're ever going to change their mind on any subject. It's not going to work. We're just going to get frustrated. We're just going to get angry. And we're going to beat ourselves down and beat ourselves up for not using the right strategies and techniques. Well, I'm I'm t- here to tell you, this is my field. This is what I try to do and try to accomplish is giving you education and strategies and techniques. And this time I'm going to tell you, it's not about the person. It's about you. The strategies and techniques are going to be about you as the care partner, the caregiver, because there isn't a damn thing we can do for the person with FTD. (laughs) There really isn't. So you have to make some decisions along the way and acknowledge what you're able to do, what you're able to accomplish, and what you are not. So one of my clients that reached out to me was telling me that her husband has reached a point where he cannot bathe himself. And trying to get him into the shower is difficult. And, you know, sometimes he smells bad. It's just hard when he's sweating, you know, wearing a sweater or whatever, and then he takes it off because he's hot in the house, and then he gets chilled and he puts it back on, and, and he gets a little stench to him. 
And I was trying to tell my client that this isn't really as much about him not taking a shower as her not realizing that she needs to use cueing skills to get him in the shower. Because if she just says, do you want to take a shower? He's going to say no. And he'll dig his heels in and won't get in the shower, right? So I was trying to explain to her that the strategy that she can use for herself is to learn cueing skills, verbal, visual, and tactile cueing skills, and go in to the bathroom, open the shower door, turn the shower on hot, let the room get steamy, make sure you use the wand or whatever you have in the in the shower, move it around so that the floor gets wet and isn't ice cold when they get in. I don't have dementia and I don't like to get into a shower with a cold floor. I just don't. So warm that up. Throw some towels in the dryer and warm those up. And then ask them to just follow you into the bedroom and say, hey, I want to I wanna show you something. Um, I got these new towels. I, I, I got this new head on the, sh- uh, on the shower, whatever it is. Um, I want to see what you think. Let's try it out. Well, while we're in here, do you think that feels good? Why don't we, why don't we um, get in the shower? We can get in the shower together. If you're a caregiver that is willing to do that, get in the shower with them. Throughout the whole process, lather them up, whatever you need to do. Make sure that they wash their hair. Put the shampoo in their hand and say, here, shampoo your hair and I'll shampoo mine. Put it in there, in their hand. If you are willing to get in the trenches here and maybe take a shower with them or make sure that you've set it up so everything's there that they need. The room is warm. The shower floor is warm. They've got warm towels. And you can stand outside the shower and say, um, don't forget to wash your hair. Don't forget to wash under your arms and your armpits and giving them verbal cueing skills. The visual is pointing to the, the shower head. It's pointing to the towel. It's pointing to the shampoo or the soap and calling it by name. There's a, a chance on the, the left side, the temporal side of the brain, that they're not recognizing an object. The left side is all about recognizing what the object is. The right side of the brain, the parietal lobe, is calling it by the correct name. So they might need you to say, grab the shampoo. It's in the white bottle and point at it. So you've got visual, you have verbal. And then if they don't grab it, reach in and grab it and say, here, I'll put some in your hand. Okay. And that's tactile. If you turn their hand up, up right and put the soap in their hand then you're going to be able to maybe move the process along and get them showered. So I was telling this client, she was really beside herself that she said, in all the years me and my husband have been married, I've never done that. I don't want to make him feel stupid. (laughs) Here's the thing. 
It isn't about making them feel stupid. It's giving somebody with a degenerative brain disease the tools through cueing and guiding skills to help them be successful and setting up the room so that they're not cold, they're not wondering why they're there, they've got a reason to be there, now you've got them in the shower and you're going to help them. You can sit there all day long and be upset about the fact that they get out of the shower, they still smell, they haven't washed their hair, or you can make a decision to get in the trenches and help them and learning some cueing skills. Who is this who's this really about? Is it about you as the caregiver trying to help them or is it you know just letting them do it on their own not being successful and then wondering why they go 2 weeks without a shower? I'm not trying to be harsh, I'm not trying to be mean, but the fact of the matter is we need to make some decisions here. We need to look at what we need to get done and how we can set ourselves up for success so that we are not stressed out, we are not angry, and we are not trying to reason with the person with the diagnosis. You're never going to win that fight. You're not. So finding a different way to do it behooves you. Give it a try. And that's on anything. We can take this and translate it to anything. Maybe you want them to come in and have dinner and they've been snacking all day so they're not hungry. So when they head for the kitchen to get a, you know, a hostess cupcake or something out of the cabinet, uh, ask them to help you do something in the kitchen. Cut the, cut the uh, carrots, butter the bread, set the table, give them a job to do, and don't make a whole dialogue around it. Just give them instructions. I need you to put these uh, plates on the table. Now could you get the forks and spoons? Here they are. They're in this drawer right here. Point to the drawer. Open it up. Point out, uh, you know, put a fork and a spoon and point to them as you are talking for each one of us. And when they get done with that, have some napkins out and say, here's some napkins. You're verbally saying it. You can point at it. Can you put these napkins on the table? You hand it to them. That's tactile. If you start applying these techniques with just about everything you're trying to do to and redirecting them with just concrete statements and something to redirect whatever behavior or whatever action they're taking, you're going to do so much better. I I feel bad for the people that are living with FTD because it's just unbelievably hard living with somebody like this. And the disease itself doesn't show on their body. It's in their mind. And so like Alzheimer's, it's in their mind. But here's the difference. With Alzheimer's, you can tell when a person is confused. You can hear when they are saying the same repetitive words over and over and over again. But with FTD, they look fine and they act like they're fine. The errors creep in all over the place, like 
buying somebody a cell phone that they don't even know just so they can call them whenever they want. Uh, their sexual drive is off the chart. They're harassing their spouse for sex, or they have complete apathy, the opposite side of the spectrum. We see this over and over and over again. Families that are living with this, especially spouses, fall out of love. They get so angry about the way that person is treating them, not caring about their emotions, not caring about being a friend and being loving and compassionate. All that goes out the window. It appears as though they care just for themselves. It appears that they do not care if they hurt your feelings. They just want to do what they want to do and, you know, kind of screw you if you don't like it. And I think that not only the fact that this person doesn't look like the person that you know, the person that you've married or the person that you've grown up with your entire life. But um, it, that I hear that more than anything from families. They just don't seem like the person that I knew, that I knew when I married them or, or what have you. And they're not. Their brain is dying and the parts of their brain that tell them that they should be caring and loving isn't working anymore. The the emotional part, the temp, the temporal lobe, um, it it has emotions, but it's only about them, whatever they're feeling, whatever they want at the time. And sometimes they do things that are quite erratic. Like I know one of my clients, her husband would go in the bathroom and scream at the top of his lungs for like 20 or 30 minutes. It, it was driving her nuts. And to make matters worse, that person had Parkinson's. And when you have Parkinson's, you're supposed to stay calm. <laughs> that wasn't working. Um, we I've heard of people being threatening, uh, threatening their spouses, threatening their families. And it seems like a surprise because they've never acted that way before. You know, we see um, we see affairs. They're going out with anybody and everybody and saying inappropriate things, even at church um, with friends. They will say something that is rude or unconscionable for, you know, a, a minute or two. They'll go on a little rant. And family members are just like, whoa, where did that come from? Who is this person? It's it's really, you know, the reason I'm, I'm even talking about this today is because I've been walking, oh my God, thousands of miles down this road recently. Uh, and it started before Christmas and it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And the person themselves don't think they're doing anything wrong. And then if you confront them or you're angry, we hurt their feelings sometimes and they might cry and then you feel horrible. Um, like you're just not a very nice person when, uh, you know, hey, nice people have their limits. <laughs> and I am one of them. I have my limits. And I really want to always be positive for all of you. But you know, sometimes... I think it's okay to just be 
flat out pissed off. Just be angry. Just carve some time to yourself and tell the world to go away. If you can do that, you know, go get your hair cut. Go, go, go have coffee with a friend. Uh, get your nails done. Go to the grocery store. Take a walk. Something like that. One of my clients got a dog. Good for her. Good for her. Because, you know, what happens is they, the person with FTD will get laser focused. I mean, laser focused on something. Uh, one person I know, uh, her husband wants alcohol all the time. And he was an alcoholic in years past, but went to a 12-step program and uh, had gotten clean for 15, 20 years. But now that he has FTD, he wants alcohol again. And they live about two blocks away from a liquor store. Not working so well for him. So I told her, I said, well, you're just renting, move. (laughs) Move and don't be within walking distance of a liquor store. How do you get them off of those things? So, you know, she can't, every time she turns around, she gets in the shower, he's gone. He's off to the, off to the races. So what do you do in cases like that? Well, you may have to ask somebody to come over and, and spell you for a little bit so you can take a shower. You might need to put on one of their favorite movies or some of their favorite music or, or for goodness sakes, they love to eat. They will eat everything that's not nailed down. Um, give them some food to eat while you're in the shower. And then when you get out, maybe take them for a drive, take them for a, do- for a walk um, with your dog or whatever. You've got to find ways to settle yourself down because there's only one true thing about FTD, and that is that you have no control over the situation. None. None at all. Not, not where they are concerned. The only thing you have control over is what you're going to do about it. It's as simple as that. Are you going to learn, learn queuing skills? Do you want to learn queuing skills? It's very difficult to find communities to take a person with FTD. Nursing homes, assisted living won't take them because they are often um, very sexually charged And it can be difficult having them in a community and have all the other residents there to be safe. It's as simple as that. So when they first get the diagnosis, one of the first things I want you to do is start looking around your area to find out who will take a person with FTD in the latter stages and know you're in for a long haul. The Association of Frontal Temporal disorder, AFTD, does have a website. They have a lot of great information. They also have a support group on there for the person with the disease, but there's one problem with that. There's no moderator, and if they get off on some tangent, they could be getting ready to fly across the country to go visit somebody in this FTD group. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Been there, done that. Um, Find a support group in your area. I have one on Zoom the first Friday of every month, 9 o'clock Mountain Time. And if you go to my website and email me, I will send you the information about that class. And I do post it on the front page of my website. I'm telling you, friends, it's a tough one. 
When we come back, I'm going to launch into some things that we can do for people with Alzheimer's. We'll be right back. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, so I got off on a little tangent in the first half of the show about frontal temporal and cueing skills and caregivers understanding their role and what they can do and what they cannot do and and knowing knowing those parameters. Well, I'm going to switch gears now and talk about Alzheimer's and the same realm and what makes it different, what makes it easier, what makes it harder. So yesterday, I don't know how many of you are on Facebook, but I get videos sometimes that will pop up when I'm looking at another video. So I'm a big Chicago Bears fan. I'm also a Denver Bronco fan, and I follow the teams. So once in a while, the teams will put something out. I go to click on it, and it will go to another video. Well, it turns out this other video that popped up was a woman who was a caregiver for a woman who could have had Alzheimer's. She could have Lewy body. I don't know enough about her. I need more information. But this woman, she's trying to prepare some salad. And this this older woman with the diagnosis comes around and says, get out of my house. Get out of my house. Right away, I know she has either Alzheimer's or Lewy body. She just wasn't understanding why this caregiver was in her house. And the caregiver was throwing shade at her. She was giving her some serious attitude. And she was saying, I am sending, I'm taking a video and I'm going to send this to your daughter and let her see what you're doing. And I was blown away that something like 213,000 people had viewed this and were bashing the lady with Alzheimer's. And I desperately wanted to put on that, on that video, hey, call me, I can help you. You know, but I don't want to put my information on a bunch of lunatics land. You know, I don't want to go there. So as the woman was trying to get some salad ready, the woman 
with the diagnosis was picking up the lettuce pieces and throwing them at the lady. And instead of just being calm, she said, I'm recording this. And the woman would say, I want you to get out of my house. And she would say, I'm not getting out of your house. I don't have to get out of your house. This went on for a couple of minutes. And as the woman is trying to, the caregiver is trying to make a meal and everything for her, uh, she just keeps antagonizing the woman. And the woman hits her a couple of times on the arm. And and um, the girl just keeps agitating her. So here's the thing. If any of you saw that video, I really want to pick this apart because it was so ridiculous. First of all, that caregiver has never had any Alzheimer's training. I'll tell you that right now. And home care companies will send people who they get off the street. I don't mean disrespect to the caregiver. But here's the thing. I have said over and over and over, and please hear me one more time. The person with the disease will feed off of your energy. That situation was escalating, and you could apply it to any situation in your own home. You can. Any situation in your own home where you are omitting negative energy, you're angry, you don't want to be there. This woman was, this caregiver was so upset that she was actually recording it and had the audacity to put it on Facebook. If I was that woman's mom, I'd be freaking livid. You know, I I don't know what it is about the world today where everybody thinks they have to share all their business and private information. I'd fire that lady. That's that's a HIPAA issue, big time, you know, showing the lady's face and so on and so forth. But I didn't think that the, the I didn't really think that the fault was lying with the person with the disease. So what could she have done? If I'm going to criticize, I need to put some information out there, okay? And I got plenty of criticism in this particular case because this is what happens all over the world momentarily for people who are angry and over it. And especially if they are not a family member. They could be a family member, but if it's a it's a caregiver coming in the home, which by the way, this is creating a culture for abuse in a big way. So what could the lady have done? First of all, don't have don't videotape and don't tell her that you're videotaping, okay? And when you're in there, maybe put on some nice music from that woman's genre. What kind of music does she like? Does she like 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s? Does she like classical? Does she like country? What kind of music does she like? Maybe put on some music and see if she likes it. Explain multiple times, my name is Jill. Your daughter sent me here to help you today. Are you hungry? I'd like to make you something to eat. Your daughter asked me to come in and make a dinner for you. Is that okay? And if she says, no, that's not okay. I don't want you here. Would it help if we talked to your daughter? If we called her and and talked to her, maybe FaceTime her um, and have her tell you that she asked me to come here? Would that make you feel better? Deal with the emotion of that person, not the actual issue at hand. That woman was scared of the woman in her home. 
She didn't know who the caregiver was. She wanted her to leave. And as the woman became more antagonistic, the woman started getting physical with her, throwing lettuce at her and then smacking her on the arm. And this woman had to be 80 if she was a day. Seriously. And the caregiver was probably in her 40s, maybe 50s, um, good size, looked strong. She could hurt that woman if she wanted to. I hope she wouldn't want to, but it was certainly going that direction. Anyway, if the woman throws lettuce at her, say, I'm sorry, it seems like maybe you don't want lettuce today. How about if I just put this away for a minute? Can I get you a cup of tea? Can I get you something to drink? Would you like a snack of some type? Um, How about we go out and get some fresh air? And lose the attitude. Don't, Don't antagonize the person. Read. That's what redirection is about, taking them to a different mindset momentarily. That's what it's about. And not just them, you too. Getting angry about that, if you're going to get angry, maybe you need a break or maybe you need not be in that situation if you're a caregiver coming from a community. Because there's no excuse to pick a fight with a person with Alzheimer's who's afraid of you. Again, you're going to lose. You will never win that argument. And like I said, I was stunned how many people on the Facebook post said, I would have turned around and smacked her back, or I would have done this, or I would have done that. There were some kind souls that said, it looks like maybe the woman has some kind of dementia. Um, This shouldn't be posted on here. I'm actually a little, I don't want to say I'm glad that the woman posted it, but At least it gave me the chance to say, all right, let's dissect this a little bit. What went wrong? Was, is this lady pretty angry anyway? Was she tired? Does she have maybe a urinary tract infection that's making her more agitated? Does she just not understand who I am and why I'm here? The woman didn't have a name tag on. She wasn't wearing a shirt that said she was from a home care company or anything like that. Um, But how could she have just taken a couple of minutes to calm herself down and offer some direction to that person? And if all else fails, walk out of the room, say, I'm going to excuse myself for just a minute. I'm going to go use the restroom or I'm going to do something and count to 10. We do this with kids, right? When you're upset with kids, you don't want to get physical with them. You don't want to scream at them. You don't want to verbally or physically abuse them. You certainly don't want to do it to a person with a degenerative brain disease. Anything that she could have done to give herself a little break, give the woman a break, redirect her with with food, arts, um, music, anything, and maybe gotten back to that salad a little bit later. And if the daughter comes home or, you know, what have you, and if she lives there or if she was planning on being there and the salad isn't quite ready, you could explain, hey, I was trying to make the salad today and your mom got a little fearful and agitated and I decided to try to um, calm her down and, you know, figured that it wouldn't take me very long to make the salad. 
a little bit later. I call this pausing to care. Pause to care. Give, give some space between you and the person that you're angry with. But if you're in a situation where you're becoming so agitated with the person that you're arguing back and forth with them, you're going to escalate that situation to somebody getting hurt. That's, it's just going to happen. And you don't want that to happen. So again, sometimes we can't always control the person, but we can control our actions. And people with Alzheimer's typically are not angry initially. They will be fearful. I 90% of the time, 9 out of 10 times, a person with Alzheimer's will be operating from a place of fear. If you know that, you have an enormous responsibility to try to make them less fearful and to try to make them feel content and appreciated and that you like them and you want to be there. And if you can't do that, get the hell out. If you can't do that, if you won't do that, don't take a job like this. If you are in a situation where you're living in a home with somebody that you're married to and you're having problems like this, I'm sorry, but I'm going to put it right back in your, in your ballpark and say, look at the way that you are interacting with that person. We love to blame all of the behaviors and obstacles and adversity that we have with somebody with Alzheimer's on the disease itself. When I believe 90% of the time, had the caregiver approached it in a different way, with compassion, with kindness, with a, a lower tone of voice, with um, understanding the situation, is the room overstimulating, is it understimulating? In that particular video I was watching, there was no music playing, and so it left nothing but the thickness and the nastiness in the air and I mean, it was so dense, you couldn't cut it with a knife. I mean, holy smokes. And for goodness sakes, don't blast it to the world on Facebook of how mean this person is being to you. When you're half their age, you are of sound mind, and you have the ability to take control of the situation and not be nasty and not be physical and not be confrontational. We... People, we have to make a decision. And, you know, as I said when I started the show today, there are days where it's just so freaking ridiculous and exhausting. You want to scream. You want to go outside and punch something. You want to, you know, call a friend and cry. You want to whatever. And you have earned that pity party. You have. If you're on this journey and you're caring for somebody then you, I okay, all right, go, have a pity party, have a couple drinks, whatever's going to make you feel better. I'm not the judge and jury on that. I like a good crown and Coke <laughs> or a bottle of wine when I'm having a hard day, and I do that sometimes more often than I should. But I don't apologize for that because I have to get back in the game. I have to get back in the game with all of you 
and for all of you. So for me, uh, you know, I can see this. I can even see my own shortcomings. When I get when I get upset, especially with my brother, uh, sometimes I will have my husband call him and have a conversation with him if he's calling me 15 times or 20 times instead of picking up the phone and saying something unkind because I know I'm capable of that. I don't want to say something unkind. Neither do all of you. It hits us like a ton of bricks. It's on our last frayed nerve. We can't take another minute of this. Call somebody and have them come over and care for your loved one. If you can't do that, go take a walk. Go take a walk in the nice, crisp, cold air. Come back a half an hour later when you're cold and you can and get back in the game. Okay? But what I don't want you to do is stick your head in the sand and feel sorry for yourself. Because that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help anybody. And you can do this. I had a show just a couple of weeks ago about how much I care for caregivers and saying, you are good enough, you can do this. Today is, is not necessarily about the bad behavior of the person. It's the sometimes our bad behavior, our poor use of strategies and techniques, or not having strategies and techniques. And for goodness sake, people, I have four years of podcasts that can help you with this. Okay, and I label them all what I'm talking about and and what you might need to do. And I've got a class coming up uh, in the next couple of months. It's going to be all about ADLs and cueing skills. It's free. It's always on the first Monday or I'm sorry, the first Wednesday of every month from 1.30 to 3.30 Mountain Time because I'm in Denver. And I list them on my website I have a class every other month that talks about the brain and what makes people act certain ways so you can learn about that. And then I help you in the trenches. So you have help. You have help. Don't be a martyr. Search out some information. Read some books. I also have resources on my website. Read the books. Learn about all these diseases that are troubling you so much. And make a decision if you want to... Start utilizing the education that you have now gathered and want to start learning the cueing skills of visual, verbal, and tactile and managing your own emotions. Because at the end of the day, we can't do a goddamn thing about the diseases themselves. And I'm sorry I said it that way, but it is. It's the truth. But what we can do is change the way we approach it. My question is, are you willing to do that? Simple as that. Well, I think I've been on my soapbox a little bit today, uh, but, and, you know, feel free to send me your emails. Tell me what you think. Um, I appreciate that one way or another. But I, like I said, I feel for all of you, but there are days when we have to accept the fact that, the only thing we can control is ourselves and how you decide to work with it and deal with it. Get in that shower with your loved one, 
keep your emotions calm when they're throwing lettuce at you uh, is is only the only best bet you have. It's what resilience is all about, overcoming obstacles and adversity to find a positive outcome. If you're willing to do that, I'm willing to help you. I will see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.